and welcome to another episode of Strategic Dialogues. Classic characterizations of intelligence often invokes images of a hidden hand, clandestine operations and secret documents that are the preserve of intelligence experts and spy agencies. But beyond threat assessment as a key focus of intelligence, contemporary intelligence agendas range from economic security to environment to health and to organized crimes, as well as more traditional areas of arms transfer, weapons of mass destructions, and UN peacekeeping and peace enforcement. As scholars and practitioners continue to study major case studies such as Pearl Harbor, the Tet Offensive, the Yom Kippur War, Argentines, Argentina's Caesar of the Falklands, Iraq's invasion of Kuwait, and 9-11 as notable intelligence failures, it is important to have a big picture perspective of intelligence as an important tool of foreign policy and national security. To unpack this relatively understudied aspect, our guest today will discuss the interface between intelligence and foreign policy and the implications for, for policy making and decision making. Jasmine Opperman is a qualified risk analyst and holds a master's degree in history from the University of Johannesburg. Her expertise emanates from 19 years experience in formal intelligence structures, at which time she attained the position of provincial head of the Eastern Cape province. Jasmine has also worked as a senior trainer at the Intelligence Academy, focusing on analysis, operational analysis, counterterrorism, low intensity conflict, and intelligence management within a constitutional democracy. She is well versed in information management and the compilation of both tactical and strategic analysis products. Her interests are primarily related to Africa's security trends and developments and the impact thereof on various governance structures. She has also worked as a senior researcher at the Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project, ACLED, and has been responsible for analyzing incidences, trends, and, Mozamb and developments related to Mozambique. She is currently an analyst at North 14, which is, and she's responsible for research and analysis of political and economic developments as well as extremism. It's good to have you, Jasmine, and I, I couldn't think of a more qualified person to tackle the subject of intelligence. I think as a starting point, the big question is how should we understand intelligence? Is it information or is it a process or both? And more essentially, what is it for? Faith, good morning and thank you for the opportunity and um, truly honored to be talking to you on such an important topic. Um, the first issue that you raise is so important. Everyone is referring to intelligence, but what is intelligence? And I'm talking about formal intelligence within a constitutional democracy. The first aspect is that intelligence service functions within a mandate. The mandate defines all processes that runs from it. An intelligence product is evaluated information not raw operational reports. I want to emphasize that. The stuff that hits the media tend to be raw operational reports, not intelligence. It has not been evaluated. Once it has been evaluated, and here I'm talking about validity, reliability, source evaluation, and how it relates to national interest and how it relates to foreign policy or domestic policy. And only once that is being processed and cleared, we can talk about an intelligence product that went through a detailed, intense process. A raw operational report has not been evaluated. There has been no source evaluation. And you run into opinions from people and sometimes information peddlers. Interesting that you say that, um, Jasmine, and from what I, what I gather uh, from you, essentially, where the analytic rubber hits the road is the question of what we do with, with the information. So certainly, all intelligence is information, but not all information is um, uh, intelligence. Exactly. And ultimately, it's 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 the essence of intelligence is the is what we do. The, the, the and when you go through the, the intelligence cycle, the question of collecting the the, the idea of the process of collecting, analyzing, and disseminating that data, presenting it to the decision maker in order to reduce their uncertainty and allow them to make 
well-informed um, choices. So I think from from the foregoing and from what you've you've laid out, it's very clear to me that intelligence then is both is both information and it's both process um, in that sense, and that we need to also understand the the, the idea of it um, um, having those those cycles and that process. But I think also um, going further into the nature of intelligence. It's the question of understanding the broad categories that um, entail um, the process and collection of, of intelligence and also the purposes. So the first category, um, how, how to understand intelligence, is the idea of we have different categories, as you were saying. There's security intelligence, there's foreign intelligence, military intelligence, um, criminal intelligence, etc. And also you can also classify intelligence based on the method of collection. So human intelligence, which is the classic one, signals intelligence, imagery, and, and everything. Um, for instance, your open source intelligence, and, and that's a subject that we'll touch on later in the discussion. But touching on the question of how we are going to, to understand the evolution of intelligence as an enterprise, I think we also need to mention that we are working in a very different strategic environment in the 21st century. It's very different from the bipolarity of the Cold War. We're essentially living in an information age. There's increased connectivity. There's increased access to information, for instance. Do you think that intelligence has caught up with the evolving international order? And, and another way of asking this question is, have intelligent experts and agencies redefined their role in the changing world? Faith, good question. And I think the problem that many intelligence structures find themselves is one, the politicization of intelligence to the extreme. Note, I'm saying to the extreme because you cannot negate from politicization. We are all political animals, even intelligence officers. But the extreme politicization. Point number two, whereas the Cold War, you were looking for the crocodiles, for the elephants as your threat. We are walking through a forest of snakes. Um, what snakes are you looking for is then the second question. And herein comes the prioritization of intelligence. If we talk about economic intelligence, what are we talking about? Are we merely referring to foreign countries trying to um, entrench or intercept some of the in, uh, economic benefits and resources we have and trying to prevent that? Or are we also looking at the private sector and the role they can play within intelligence structures when it comes to economic intelligence? Um, and then thirdly, the issue of political intelligence is a highly sensitive issue in a constitutional democracy. Uh, I want to make use of an example, if you don't mind. South Africa has seen July looting and vandalism. And there was immediate shouts of intelligence failure. And I must be honest, Dave, I really got irritated with the superficial debate around this matter uh, because early warning needs to be understood and truly understood for what it is and how it can and cannot work. But yet at the same time, those people shouting uh, intelligence failure were the people shouting the intelligence service should not touch political sector of South African society. So they were contradicting themselves because they were shouting, why wasn't there early warning? Yet they were shouting, you're not allowed to listen to or engage interceptions or focus on, on political aspects at play. And it's these contradictions, persistent contradictions that I think has caught up with the intelligence structures. The fourth issue I want to raise, Dave, if you will bear with me, is the issue of national security. One has to and keep in mind the intelligence function is not solely responsible for national security. All departments do contribute to national security. Intelligence is but part of a puzzle and this puzzle is transgressing all borders. We cannot sit anymore in an office isolated by all these security measures and think we can understand the world, how the world works, and how human nature is functioning today. There is the dire need for interaction. There's the dire need to go out as an intelligence officer. I'm not talking operations, I'm talking as an analyst, and engaging these experts. But sadly, as you have noted, 
people have this idea that you are in the dark corner somewhere hiding away with all these big secret, secrets. The word secret does not mean you are having impact. It does not at all correlate to the content and the value of the content. And this is here where the mind starts playing around with management in intelligence is to put them out there without compromising operations. Needless to say, we have to keep this in mind, but have to put themselves out there, step out of the shadow and start actively engaging these type of issues that we are faced with. I mean, the issue of the future is environmental security. We are in five to 10 years, all of us are going to work that like crazy because of the impact. I can rest assured, Intelligence will be two or three steps behind because of a lackluster approach to the interaction of specialists. So faith, yes, we're talking different categories. But if we want to subdivide, we need to be very precise. Border intelligence is another example. I don't want to go into too much detail, but I have serious reservations about the relevance of border intelligence looking at the irrelevance of borders in Africa. So how do you play with that and how do you work with that only within a regional and continental environment? Sadly, we are sitting with politicians obsessed with sovereignty, obsessed with their possessions, and with that, they start directing and guiding the intelligence process. And with that, it becomes a culture within intelligence. And with that, intelligence always plays to the tune of the politician, not to the most important sector you are accountable to, the people of the country. That is uncompromising in any professional intelligence service. Thanks so much, uh, Jasmine. Um, it's absolutely riveting to hear your perspective on the interface between intelligence and foreign policy, the location of how intelligence operates, the whole question of disaggregating, you know, the dynamics of the of the architecture of the intelligence space and, and the structural issues that underpin it. And I just can't help but say it comes at such an interesting time in South Africa, but also globally in the context of mm -hmm. the identity of how intelligence services are being shaped. Um, and I just want to maybe use this time to ask you to reflect a little bit on these debates about the way in which the intelligence architecture is shifting in the context of Africa, more specifically, and how it's playing into this point you raised about this politics and this culture of playing to, the, to, to, to what politicians want. And, and normally what politicians want are not necessarily resonate with the interests of the citizen. It's the interest of themselves, as my very uh, pedestrian interpretation would be. Just to comment on that in terms of from your experience, how you've seen those, that shifting terrain emerge in terms of this whole process of the interface. Uh, uh, thank you for that question. Uh, important question as well. Um, Intelligence, not policy related, is not worth a product. Intelligence not coming up with policy recommendations means that it's irrelevant to the task of intelligence, means that um, you are writing for the sake of writing and not for the sake of impact. And that I want to make unequivocally clear. When I was provincial manager in the Eastern Cape, each analysis product had a section policy recommendations. Now, no executive powers you can merely recommend, but you are doing your work. In terms of where does intelligence find itself in this hierarchy, a societal hierarchy I want to use because I think you cannot divorce yourself from the societal hierarchy you're functioning in. Um, in South Africa, we had a situation now of President Ramaphosa uh, taking intelligence within his office and there was immediate red flags. Um, doom profits. 
this is not how it works. And I'm thinking, no, this is how it works. Um, as a professional intelligence organization, you're much closer to the client. You're not going to be guided and directed by the client. Yes, there will be taskings, but surely management, based on the mandate, the constitution, will have the savvy to immediately de detect misuse and abuse, which does not bolster confidence in the intelligence capacity in South Africa on a management level. But I think what it is important is that intelligence has to realize, and quickly at that, that intelligence per se, unique information that has been evaluated, cannot be claimed anymore as the holy cradle of intelligence. It needs to understand that there are gold nuggets out there that people have ascertained via um, other contacts, other networks that you need to access and use as complementary to the product you are putting on the table. What I'm saying is that intelligence must move beyond the classical organizational setup. We appoint 10 analysts, we appoint 5 operational people and 2 managers. No! Why do you need 5 analysts if you can have 1 analyst with 4 experts you can engage outside, evaluate the information, take that budget and use it for operational purposes. So more money is not the answer. Definite, precise skills, that's what is required. And intelligence will have to realize that the skills of yesterday are not the skills of tomorrow we need. Um, those skills that we need today is the narratives, is what is presented to you in a specific format, how it relates to specific interests, and how that then impacts on your policy environment, what the client must understand before taking any decision. In terms of where we stand in Africa, I have touched upon it, and I think that is the sad story. Intelligence uh, doing surveillance, intelligence doing an interception, should, ideally speaking, not be seen as intrusion of human rights. If those functions are being executed in an accountable manner, People should actually welcome those actions. Why am I saying that? Because the intelligence service can account that there is a threat, that people are abusing the constitutional order, and hence they will impact on the lives of the people of the country at play. But what is happening now, because of years of mistrust and feeding elitist politics non-stop on what they want to hear, not what they must know. We've seen this in Mozambique playing out as a case in point. Um, and there are many examples. I don't just want to highlight Mozambique. Um, but what has happened is that intelligence has become a party structure of abuse, of getting executive powers that reminds one of post 9-11 with a former George Bush Jr. And the how the power was centralized in the office and how interceptions were abused to massive extent. So the word privacy has also undergone significant changes. Yet we cannot, an intelligence service cannot compromise on what the constitution puts on the table. Um, yes, there's a reality. Who's paying your salary? The client might say. If you are a professional intelligence service, your answer is also simple. I'm here to give you objective perspectives, not here to keep you in the president's office. But sadly, battle of the gun politics has left its legacy and intelligence cannot throw up its arms in the air. If ever there was a need for objective intelligence that accounts to the people in Africa, it is now. Um, there's a youth bubble in South Africa. There are expect oh, in Africa expectations. There's enormous opportunities available to all of us on this continent. And if intelligence cannot see those opportunities equal to threats and inform the client accordingly, our foreign policies will be misdirected, will be informed by Cold War ideologies. And if you don't mind me um, saying this, hence I despise ideologues. They corrupt the mind. They enable politicians throwing an ideology at a problem, for they do not understand the problem. Intelligence, where are you? Uh, they do not understand the problem. 
and then they just throw the ideology and say, there's your answer. But you've done nothing. We need impact. Intelligence will have to become the facilitator of impact that will take the youth of this continent into the future and threats related to that process. I don't see that at play. I hear national sovereignty. I hear borders must be closed. I hear third forces, left, right and center. I hear conspiracy theories, left, right and center. And yet the voice of sound intelligence has paled into insignificance. Thank you. Thank you, Jasmine, for that. Um, from what you're saying, I gather then that ultimately in a changing world, in a very complex and diffuse environment, the, there's a need to appreciate the role of the intelligent expert or the intelligent analyst as not being merely just a, a briefer, but is also one who supports the decision maker. The, the, the task of the intelligent expert is to add to the storytelling component, the idea of sense uh, making, and that the understanding that we are moving from this idea of a product delivery metaphor um, where intelligence is something that is packaged and delivered, but rather intelligence is, is the, the experience of understanding something more completely than before. It's what the analyst is doing here is facilitating um, greater understanding. Adding to that then is the, the, a related question would be, and I think this is where you were saying there's sometimes a breakdown of, of, um, of information and of use um, of, the, of the intelligent product is a relationship between intelligence and intelligence experts and the decision maker. What do you think are the contours of this relationship between decision makers and intelligence? And yeah, I appreciate what you're saying about the need for intelligence to remain apolitical, to remain very objective in order to meet the very needs of policy, to meet the, the, the needs of um, national security um, aside, uh, aside from um, ideas or aside from ideology manipulated conceptions. So talk to us a, a little bit about what you think are the contours of the, the relationship between the decision maker and, and, and intelligence? Uh, Beth, yes, um, I'm going to start off in responding to your question by making use of an example, if you do not mind. Um, when I was, uh, I was first in the Northern Cape, um, head of analysis, and also in the Eastern Cape, um, we did weekly presentations to the premiers. Premiers being basically in control of the province they were, um, nominated for. It was an unfamiliar world to the client. They were quite reluctant initially, I'm talking about both provinces, but then we engaged in a very set client, um, let's call it orientation process of what we can bring to the table, that there are no agendas except to serve the national interest at a provincial level. Faith, it ended up and please, I'm saying this humbling, I'm not being arrogant, um, that the premiers refused to move out with their diaries without prior seeing the intelligence on, um, on the table. They suddenly realized what value it can bring. We created situational awareness. And that, for me, is the key word in terms of your client relationship. First of all, the client's understanding, the client's knowledge on what intelligence can deliver if managed appropriately is vital. And that abuse will merely mean the degradation of any constitutional order. It cannot maintain itself. It will implode. So that is your starting process. There needs to be an active process from intelligence to prove to the client that they add value, that they add an evaluated, like you've said, narrative in terms of the analysis that will inform and direct. Because we must remember, and you mentioned it, Faith, there's an information overload. There is disinformation. There is one-liners on Twitter running. No one reads anymore. No one studies content anymore. The president of a country surely does not have time for this. So if you walk into the client's or the president's office and you have a presentation longer than five slides, I'm telling you, you're wasting your time. 
You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're looking for. And you don't know what you're going to tell the client in five slides. This is the issue. This is what is going to happen. This is the likely impacts. This is what we recommend. Yes, what the client decides is up is the prerogative of the client. You cannot tell the client what to decide, but you have informed. You have taken action to have impact. And this is where the bridge must be not only crossed, but must be built some days. It has completely broken down in trust. And yeah, I'm talking South Africa specifically, the country I'm home to. Um, there is simply no trust. And um, your management intelligence plays a pivotal role in this process. And that often concerns me is that people are being appointed in positions without the required experience, knowledge themselves of what intelligence entails. Yet they must, they must take these decisions. Faith on being apolitical. That is such an important topic. I truly would like to engage for two minutes. There can never be a, a political intelligence structure. It is impossible. Um, all of us have pl political inclinations, have political opinions. And now I'm saying opinions, not analysis or uh, analytical perspectives. And that accounts to intelligence officers. They cannot be put on a pedal to be something else than human. They will be driven by similar needs, similar passions. But as an analyst, as an operational analyst, as an operational person involved in active operations, an intelligence officer must have the ability to realize this is my political position. It should not influence where I'm going to, how I'm acting, how I'm writing. And herein lies management and micromanagement from provincial managers crucial to the success of intelligence. We acknowledge being apolitical. We disregard any attempt to use that and the intelligence structure for its own benefits. And that is fundamental. Because we must keep in mind the client is walking a tight rope in pitch darkness. Intelligence is supposed to be the light for the next step to be taken. I'm talking about policies and the impact and the outcome of those policies. And if that light goes down, the client is said to fall from that rope. And once we understand that with such a simple example, we as an, or an intelligence service per se and management must understand the enormous responsibility that they have taken up. Intelligence is not a enrichment, self-enrichment career. It's a self-sacrificing career with passion towards the continent, the region, and the people of the country, not a political party. Thanks, Jasmine. I think you really set the tone here for us in terms of um, unpacking and really giving us the, the real nuggets about what an intelligence operational personnel, the dynamics, etc., how it needs to to be conceptualized, but also operationalized. And, and on, on that point, I just want to perhaps ask you, from your experience, can you maybe provide us, uh, you, you talk a lot about client and, and, and how the client relates to um, the, the, um, the intelligence um, that is being provided, what's the, what's the needs assessment and so forth. Perhaps to take a step back, can you give us a bit of, from your experience, how the organizational structure, the organogram, is in, in not necessarily from the the professional intelligence services, you know, the, the, those that may be offering their services to clients, but rather how it's uh, what's the architecture like within a, within the the confines of a state? How does it how does it break down? You know, how, and how the how the structure is is. Um, is put together in terms of the manage the line uh, managers and the accountability and structures going up. So, if we take, for example, what's currently in Cyril Ramaphosa's presidency and how that structure is broken down uh, in terms of its architecture. Yes, yeah, sure, I will do. Um, 
It's ironic that you answer, ask that question. You know, the biggest downfall for intelligence is when the intelligence cycle was perceived as a recommendation for structure, which it never, it's never its intent. It's functions that duplicates itself at all level. And I'll try to explain that now. First and foremost, we work, and that is, again, an uncompromising principle. You can delegate responsibility, but you cannot delegate accountability. And I want to use that as a frame. If one looks at the structure, and yeah, I'm going to talk specifically about South Africa, as that I do have knowledge on, is if you look at the structure in place, uh, there's a national intelligence coordinating structure that has been reactivated that is supposed to uh, integrate military intelligence, crime intelligence, um, domestic intelligence, and whatever government department is at play. For instance, if it's border security, you bring in home affairs. If it's um, health, you bring in um, the Department of Health. But anyway, they have to do integrated analysis, sad to say, competition between departments, um, the need and the drive for bigger budgets, and also a legacy of mistrust makes that, which is such an important function, extremely frustrating with um, departments holding back on what is being shared, but that's beside the point. From there, you go to your DGs, and they are finally accountable. They sit with the top management, and now at national level, you have your national analysis, your national operations. We call it, at that time, national projects. Terrorism would be a very good example as a national project. Border intelligence would be another example as a national project. Uh, you also have your surveillance teams, you have your interceptions, all coordinated at a national structure. These structures are supposed, note my wordplay, uh, to inform your national client, that is to say national government, your president, deputy president, your ministers, on a frequent basis, on the issues at play, how it relates to what their the policy execution capabilities, and when it comes to foreign policy, Developments, Afghanistan, example, surely there should be a product now in front of um, the Minister of International Cooperation on how it relates to South Africa and how it will drive South Africa into the near future in, the, in South Asia and the Middle East. But from there, we have, or what at that point what they had was provincial structures, where the provincial head becomes the mini DG. That is to say, you take responsibility for all actions in that province, finance, uh, operations, analysis, counterintelligence, and you are accountable for those activities within that province. From there, you have your provincial projects, and those provincial projects are not thumbs up. You know your client, you know what your client movements are, you know what concerns the client, you know what the client is missing and you develop your provincial projects approved at national level, you move back and you start running these projects. You as a provincial manager, the moment you click forward to the national structure for approval, you are accountable for that intelligence product to be or to be approved at national level. So you're not becoming, and I think this is what people sometimes do not understand. There are standard operating procedures. I know during my time, I mean to get an intercept going. It was a detailed process of approval prior getting that approval. Sadly, it seems it has fallen by the wayside as time has gone by, but that's beside the point. There's certain processes you cannot ignore because when you have to account, your first line of accountability is how you have adhered to these processes. And the same applies to national structure. Now, intelligence services are structured differently across Africa. It's not the same, but you will see that the hierarchy always reflects analysis, operations, um, second all those functions but what we must keep in mind for instance an operational person doing collection 
can do operational analysis, can add a comment to the information report on how he or she perceives the situation. It's not an intelligence assessment, but that perspective, that narrative cannot be ignored. That person is on the ground, boots on the ground. Understand the feeling, the situational awareness is there, present in the report. And an analyst sitting in an office somewhere do not have that and must be guided into that. And um, that so that whole structure surrounding the intelligence cycle sadly has fallen into the trap of reflecting the intelligence cycle. And I think that has put severe constraints on operations, on analysis, on counterintelligence. To the extent that sometimes there's a big turf war between what is tactical and strategic intelligence. Who's responsible for that? And I'm thinking, no, that's wrong. The question is framed wrongly. Analysis is everyone's responsibility. Who is the person that's going to evaluate and package that accordingly and clear that is the process that needs attention. Not the function, forget the function. It comes in as where you are appointed. And I think that we have seen that with 9-11. We have seen that with the tragic incidents in Africa where we had the bombings, um, East Africa, where intelligence was so delayed by bureaucracy trying to reflect what is in the intelligence cycle that it negated what intelligence is all about proactive information that is evaluated into intelligence that is shared in a manner that the client can access and do something with. Um, in South Africa, we have a national intelligence estimate. My word, 60 to 80 pages. Do you really think cabinet has time to read this product? Why is it that intelligence structures do not have a secure WhatsApp type of function to your main clients and every morning when they open their eyes, there's an alert for the day of major developments. If they need more on a specific issue, they can revert back and get a proper analysis. But at least you are creating situational awareness. You are enabling the client to determine the needs they are or their concerns and you can take the client by the hand. And take the client by the hand. What are the intelligence services afraid of? Take them by the hand. You're not there for them to win the next election. You're there to show them what policies must be taken to the benefit of the people of your country. And this boggles my mind. This, I sometimes get the idea that this structure, this monster, can be cut by 50%. The budget can be cut by 50% if we had our priorities in place and if we understand the processes at play, not in a structure, but a continuous cycle and mini cycles walking, working towards the same goals. And if intelligence is not going to address those issues, intelligence will fade in its dark corner, corner where it is and will where it is now become an irrelevant voice for which the client has less and less time. It's, it's interesting that you say that, Jasmine, because I was coming to the question about, and here, allow me to play devil's adv advocate for a minute. So you've, you've focused um, on, the, on one side of the coin, which is the, the role that the intelligence plays in delivering and attending to the request for information, the RFIs by the, the client. But on the other hand, it seems to me then that there's at least at a very basic level, an expectation that the, the, the consumer mm. of intelligence products, and in this case, I'm referring specifically to the decision maker, needs to also have certain principles, needs to also have a very clear understanding of what his RFIs are. Because if you have an understanding of, for instance, here we're talking about foreign policy, what your foreign policy priorities and goals are, for instance, in a particular situation, then your RFI to your intelligence needs to be very tailored, very specific to what you need. Because yes, yes, um, in an ideal context, your intelligence will supply you, as you're saying, 
um, very, very um, comprehensive, very to the point analysis. But if you as a decision maker, you as a consumer, don't even have an idea of what your RFI needs uh -huh. to look like, then we have a problem in, in the relationship. But yes, and um, let's look at that. And again, I want to start with an example, needless to say, I don't want to go into too much detail, but it illustrates your point to perfection. In the Eastern Cape, we did a detailed presentation in 2007, 2008, don't count, um, I could be a year out or so, to the uh, Portfolio Committee on Intelligence, where we warned them that local government is on the brink of collapse. And we made use of a risk model, we made use of a vulnerability model, and highlighted the main areas. Nothing was done. Nothing was done after the presentation. A second example, last example. Borsasa has become a big issue in South Africa. We picked it up in 2008 and we were told hands off. The reasons thereof, as at that time, I was still head of analysis, needless to say, you, as a head of analysis, you can inquire and you want to push the issue, but sad to say, we were told, don't engage. And these are the hardcore realities at play in intelligence. And I'm glad you're asking the question. Let's, these are the, this is the real world you are functioning in. Politicians have their own agendas. Politicians have their own interests. Where are decisions on foreign policy being taken, Faith? At Lutuli House or at Department of International Cooperation? I'm, I don't have an answer to that question. I'm just saying, trying to illustrate the complexities at play. Yet as an intelligence officer, you have to distance yourself from these political dynamics, but you need to take note that the, the politician, the president, the deputy president, the minister will have own perspectives. And what is frightening in the real world is what a friend says to the minister, to the president, what a family member tells them about a situation often is being viewed by the politician carrying far more weight. Why? One word, trust, two words, trust and familiarity. And herein, the president or deputy president being obsessed with an own position, an own agenda, uh, not willing to listen to anything else that, that informs that perspective. I have some bad news. Why then even have an intelligence service? In name, it serves no purpose. Unless the intelligence service is willing to play your game, sir or madam. Um, and herein, as you have noted, the client's understanding and the client's perspective and the client's knowledge of intelligence and what it can bring to the table, if that is not in place, if that is not sound, if that is being sold to foreign interests and self-serving interests, I don't see any value for an intelligence service trying to be objective and professional as they can be, for there is no one listening, hence there is no impact. So an intelligence service must not become a deviation tool to the leaders of a country to show that they are adhering to certain democratic values, norms, standards, whatever those words mean in these days. But it is an interplay. It is a relationship, Faith, and that's why I made use of the example of the premiers. I mean, the premier of the Eastern Cape chased me out of his office one day. How dare could I have accused his sister of being involved in corruption? Yet the next week, we were asked to continue with the presentations. So irrespective of the moment of tension, in the real world, there are many tensions. There are many tensions. And if there are not tensions between the cabinet and between intelligence, something is wrong. Something is seriously wrong. It's like a marriage. If they are not fighting, they are doomed because someone is not talking. Someone is standing back. Um, sadly, with intelligence, it has dire consequences for the people um, of the country. The, the cabinet or the president, as your policy maker, needs to know, trust and understand 
that when it comes to a development, let's take a practical example now. Is the Islamic State taking lead in the Cabo Delgado insurgency, as portrayed by Western media? What must the client response be? What is my intelligence service saying? What is their analysis? That is the relationship you want. If he or she is not satisfied with your analysis, brilliant. You have an impact. You're directing the policy environment. You're not always going to get the outcome you want, but that's not your job as an intelligence service. You are informing a crucial foreign policy decision at hand. And hence, sitting at the UN Security Council, your foreign policies are pivotal to your status, are pivotal to the role you can play. And if there's no briefing from intelligence, we are going to rely on opinions, subjective opinions, even by some think tanks, because they're being sponsored by certain sponsors with their interest at play. That's how the game works. But intelligence service is not there to play a game. It is being paid by government. Yes, that's harsh reality. But someone has to pay. Yet, they have to do the dirty work. They have to try to keep ruling party, the ruling president and cabinet informed in a very precise way. And if the cabinet or the president starts understanding that beyond their own personal ambitions, I believe intelligence can step out of the shadow. But I'm afraid a democracy is only as good as its leaders. If we're going to sit with leaders willing to sell out, intelligence will pay the price, the ultimate price in being seen as the compromising agent. Interesting that you say that, um, Jasmine, because my next point was coming to that, to this, what we've already discussed as a very complex and evolving um, contemporary world and, and, and international order. And, and here I want to talk about a possible disruptor to, to a disruptor trend in the information age that has implications for intelligence. And here I'm referring to open source intelligence. When you look at, for instance, what the Human Rights Watch has done with analyzing satellite mm -hmm. imagery to document um, ethnic cleansing in, in places like Myanmar, or what you see nanosatellites being used to tag um, identification system of vessels that are engaging in illegal mm -hmm. fishing. We've also seen, for instance, um, Europol um, using, um, using, for instance, geographical clues in the background of photographs to, to, investi to investigate child sexual and, and trafficking rings. Um, and and this, these are just some examples of what open source intelligence has, just the, the promise um, of, of open source intelligence from, from a positive light. But open source intelligence, yes, it has benefits for civil society, it has benefits for law enforcement and, and, and for the broader uh, market economy. But on the other hand, open source intelligence can also undermine state monopolies on intelligence. It can also challenge the narrative that states have um, and this can be counterproductive in, in particular ways. And here I'm thinking, for instance, if, you're, if I want to use a historical example, if you look at the Cuban Missile uh -huh. Crisis, for instance, yeah. um, I remember a story of, um, at the time, there was, there was already talks through back channels of movement um, in, in Cuba around the, the, the missiles. But while the, the decision makers, while the White House, the, 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 the National Security, the Pentagon was gauging on what to do, they actually wrote out and reached out to their media houses and said they need to, to, to remain um, quiet on, on this activity, not to report it so that they don't jeopardize um, whatever national security operation needed to be done in response to, to the Cuban Missiles crisis. So I think the, that is a worry of, of the whole idea of the explosion of the open source intelligence in this sense, because on one hand, it has implications for, for state security in that sense, but it also has implications for data privacy and here individual uh, data privacy. It's, it's a difficult trade-off, um, it isn't is it? It is extremely difficult. Um, and I want to raise two or three issues related to that. Like I'm concerned with how the word intelligence is being used these days, left, right and center, uh, by certain think tanks, uh, by certain media houses. Um, you will often see in a media report a reliable uh, contact or reliable source stated that. And I think you're not telling me anything, are you? Um, 
you're not adding to my value because I don't know your source. Uh, may I see your source evaluation? Because that's your most important document for an analyst at the end of the day, your evaluation of the sources. Hence, if you might disagree with me, and you're welcome to disagree with me, I do not have all the answers. I do not believe that there is such a thing as open source intelligence. Um, intelligence, at the end of the day, has a very precise and specific function related to the policy environment. And the moment you have an intelligence service engaging in such activities as you've mentioned with the Cuban Missile Crisis, and I want to make um, examples, I want to use examples closer to home, media freedom in Africa. Uh, in South Africa, during one of the most horrendous genocides against human dignity, apartheid, how media was exploited, let's call it uh, by psyops, because that's what they were. And um, if we see how this is playing out coincidentally in Mozambique, it's just as scary. Um, then an intelligence service has become in itself so focused on deep cover COVID operations that it cannot see the value what is out there. And by taking the word intelligence away, does not mean there's lesser value. It just places or puts that type of report in a very specific puzzle or specific context, adding to the final analysis. Um, if you want to go according strictly to constitutional order in South Africa, any person that pays for inf information beyond the intelligence structures are actually acting illegally. But that's beside the point. Uh, so an intelligence service in itself must never think it holds the key to all problems. It holds the autonomy on this brilliant um, thing called knowledge. It's impossible. There is simply not enough experts in an intelligence service, for example, when it comes to nuclear issues or, like you've said, organized crime which is a highly complex environment to work in. It becomes seriously complex, I promise you. But a good analyst, mark my words, can take 15 quality open source reports with the right tools and write a brilliant risk analysis. Brilliant. With the right tools available now out there. That's their benefit. It's available to all. But that analysis must speak to the mandate of policies. If it does not, it's not intelligence. A media house seldom writes for the policy environment. A think tank, yes, there's some brilliant work out there. I've read some brilliant analysis until it comes to the conclusion. It all falls apart. Why? There's no boots on the ground. There's no situational awareness. There's no feeling towards what is happening. Intelligence, step in, please. What are you waiting for? You have the mandate. And I think that intelligence has been so, what can I, hammered by ill-informed perspectives that even management has become scared of what they do and what not to do. And it's actually quite simple. Your mandate is in place. Your president has been elected via uh, the um, election processes, supposed to govern according to those principles that is being laid out and on the basis of what they won the election. And then you start running and feeding that process without worrying about the next election, but being concerned about the massive implications when a decision has to be taken. So for me, it all boils down to this. There's too much things being called intelligence. That's not intelligence. The concept has sadly being stabbed so many times out of convenience for the impact it has, like terrorism. You want to attract attention to your media article, use the word terrorism, coup, insurrection, or um, let's call it a third force at play, a conspiracy theory. Intelligence has started being so focused on their own survival that it has neglected simple things like disinformation, which is so easy to expose faith. Um, we had a project running, I'm sorry, I'm always going back and I'm just using these as practical examples. On reports following our um, first democratic elections, it was amalgamation. It was really not, a, uh, it was not an easy time, but a brilliant time as well to see how people connect. And there was a project accusing some senior politicians of actively engaging in disrupting the ruling party, 
the ruling government. Let me rather use that word. At the end, faith that project became became a source evaluation project, and within a matter of two months, these disinformation agents were identified, red flag, and kicked out. And nowhere has any of the information impacted on the policy environment. Now that, for me, is an intelligence success that will never hit the media. It's not sensationalist enough. And herein is the next difference between open source think tanks and intelligence. If you want to be a Hollywood star, go and move to Hollywood. I always said that to students. If you want a gun, sunglasses, and Levi jeans, you don't belong in intelligence. A good intelligence officer should never use a gun. What the hell do you need a gun for? You don't have executive powers. Who are you going to shoot? Me, when I anger you as your manager. Um, and that for me is fundamental. Sensationalism is not part of an intelligence structure. Political COVID operations, as we've seen, or what has been presented, rather, let me rephrase, at the Zondu Commission, should never have been part of intelligence. That is non-intelligence anymore. That is blatant, blatant political allegiance with benefits to certain individuals in intelligence structures. If that happens, you have corrupted and committed treason to a professional function which so many people believe in and hope for. And it is in this harsh reality that exploitation is a reality that we cannot ignore, be it at national level, regional level, continental level. You know, Faith, and I know I talk too much. Please stop me if I talk too much. Let me give you a practical example to illustrate this. I'm sorry I'm going back to Mozambique. I've been work, working that insurgency now um, for quite some time, and I love the people of Cabo Delgado. Um, maybe I'm already too subjective when it comes to intelligence, but I'm no longer in intelligence. So Rwanda moves in before the Sadek. And needless to say, we've been being bombarded with their successes, and they've done good. I'll give it. They've done good. But the question is, why has Rwanda moved so quickly? Why <clears throat> have they been so eager to move in before Sadek? Why are they directing the narrative of what comes out of Cabo Delgado? These are the matters an intelligence service should be focusing on from a foreign policy angle. Suddenly you see Rwanda reaching out to Tanzania and very close to Mozambique government. And we know our diplomatic relations has diplomatic relations has not been good with Mozambique for some time. But policy decisions have to be taken. And herein lies intelligence. Herein lies one, the president understand and the minister of international corporations understanding what intelligence can put on the table, the trust that they will present as humanly possible as we can be objectively and informing the president on a factual informed analysis within five slides or three pages. What is at play and how will the region, no, I'm not saying South Africa, I'm saying the region, we're talking foreign policy here. We have to move beyond national interest here. Now that is going to set the direction for the next five to ten years. If that has not happened by now, we are sitting, sitting with an intelligence failure. Why not? Um, SADC, against all expectations, including mine, Faith, I will admit that, deployed. Yet everyone is gunning SADC. What are you doing there? And I'm thinking, no, it's not about what you're doing there. It's the fact that you are there and what you are and how you're going to do in winning the trust of the people. Not playing the Maputo violin. Because we know there's a war economy at play. And these are like simple examples. What does the over-militarization of Cabo Delgado mean for the stability of this region? I'm afraid not good news. I don't need a document with secret at the top and the bottom to tell you this. I just analyze what I have in front of me. Hence, it's the quality, the commitment and the passion of the intelligence or the people deployed intelligence. I always say, give me three good analysts with passion. And we can cover this region with a smile. But sadly, it seems that it's become an employment house. Sadly, there is no more passion as there used to be in the 90s and the 2000s. People that simply do not understand the miracle that has taken place in South Africa. And we see that being eaten away day by day. And intelligence has a role to play. And I'm making use of South African examples. I'm sorry about that. But we can go into Africa. We can go into the Central African Republic, South Sudan. We can look at Guinea. 
Why is Africa seeing so many coups? Wrong question. Why have, why don't we see coups every bloody day? Because we are sitting with ideologues. We are sitting with politicians that are seeking quick fixes to enrich themselves. I'm sorry being for upfront, but prove me wrong if I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And and certainly what the points that you were raising about the need for decision makers to act on strategic notice because what's the point of intelligence you've been given strategic notice of certain developments but number one you fail to comprehend maybe the urgency or you fail to think through the options of responding to particular situations and as you're saying you're just laying the laying the stage for for failure but on the other hand um you're rendering the 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 role of intelligence in forestalling strategic um, surprise um, useless to a large degree and it, it boils down to the very question about we, we still need to appreciate the role of intelligence as a tool of statecraft that cannot be um, overlooked in we any sense we need to create risk aversion we need to create you cannot deal with all risks and threats out there but you can guide the, the government to those matters that needs and you've said that urgent attention time is not on our hands we need to take action now I just want to add one thing, Faith, bear with me. If a client decides to ignore, that actually, if you think about it, Faith, once the client has been exposed to intelligence and an intelligence, I'm talking high quality product, there's no, there should never be a compromise on that and decides not to act. In a constitutional democracy where intelligence service do not always have executive powers, a client has taken note. An intelligence service has reached out and impacted already on the policy environment by informing the actions to be taken from there on with and the responsibility and accountability rest with the decision maker. And the intelligence service actually has fulfilled its mandate. But Faith, here I want to bring in a, let's call it a caveat. If a client does not respond or if a client is undermining the constitutional democracy surely the intelligence service cannot sit back and say oh we've done our work we've done our mandate no you must ring the bell intelligence service have you gone to the constitutional court have you raised this issue with the highest it's the ethics mm. question it's, it's just not about utility anymore it's about the ethics dimension Oh, sorry, if I just repeat that? I'm saying it's no longer just plainly about utility question. It's now an oh, yeah. ethical Yeah, uh, you are question. absolutely right. Because ethics do play a role in intelligence. And this is part of it. And so if you, and sorry, Fab, I'm going back now to the recent example. There's been an intelligence failure in South Africa. Then the minister said, no, there was early warning provided. I'm thinking, no, minister, what have you done? with the early warning is the question to be answered. Have you used all avenues available to ring that bell, to make note that all that should take note, take note to tell the people of South Africa, we have given a presentation. It's not good enough. You're not getting paid to do a presentation. You're getting paid to have impact, be it foreign or domestic policy. Herein lies the intelligence failure of recent times. I think as we wrap up, just a, a final mm. word on the state of intelligence in South Africa. And you've already alluded a lot to, to what we've seen and, and on the back of, of the July um, unrest or, or whatever people want to call it. But ultimately, we saw you mentioned this previously, and I just want to bring it up as we close it, as we close this discussion. We saw a shuffle that moved intelligence closer to the presidency. You've already said in one sense, this is positive because it it moves the the intelligence close to the decision maker and enables the intelli the intelligence to um, adequately adequately perform its its um, role in informing and, and helping the the decision maker to make informed choices that's one end of it on the other hand do you see a risk for increased politicization given the room that we have or the risk that we have of um, factional battles yeah. being played out and the and intelligence being instrumentalized. That's one question. And on the other hand, where to from here as you wrap up? What what are the prospects then for, for South Africa's intelligence um, sector given recent okay, developments? Thank you. Yeah. Um, 
You know, it's ironic. You just actually gave, just to a certain extent, the answer to that question when you used the word ethics. The future of intelligence or the risk of misuse and abuse is most probably at its most vulnerable stage. If we look at the ruling party, and you've mentioned it, factionalism, the party economically is in a crisis. It, it is truly experiencing such internal tensions that local government structures have imploded due to that. We're sitting with communities highly securitized, on the edge of having had enough. We're sitting with a ruling party that is deep, busy with soul-searching. Where is, are the new leaders going to come from? And I think that was one of the reasons why the president decided to bring it into his office, is that there is simply no quality leaders visibly present within current structures in the ANC. And please, I am not um, criticizing the ANC. I'm just putting certain facts on the table. Um, for that matter, I can say if you look at the DA, they should really catch a wake-up and realize that they, they're a bit behind times. But that's just a side comment. Um, at the end of the day, we need or intelligence and the client has to understand and decide if we truly need an intelligence service that lives up to what is being expected from them, not only its mandate, but the people. If we can, if that is not being done, if we do not have a management that is committed to this intelligence, what we call intelligence and the role it can play, if we don't find similar commitment from the client or from the president or from the ruling party and opposition parties, let's not ignore that reality, we might as well close the doors of intelligence. But then we must realize there's a price to be paid. If we look at organized crime, transnational, terrorism, transnational, environmental, transnational, and we can list these issues endless, violence against women, these factors, these realities will engulf this region and this country. And sad to say, it's already happening with certain uh, developments taking place because of crime intelligence that has imploded, because of a self-obsessed intelligence structure that they have the ultimate knowledge on everything. And with a government so entrenched in itself, focused in itself, that national values seem to start taking secondary uh, priority. That is the price we're going to pay. But let's not fool ourselves. In understanding intelligence and accountable governance and accountable intelligence, maybe I should say, if we are not willing on this continent, and I take this broader than South Africa, are not willing to accept this massive accountability, then please let's stop ourselves by referring to an intelligence structure. For that they are not. They are merely serving a propaganda stream that does not benefit the people of this beloved continent. Thank you so much, Jasmine. We could talk about intelligence all day, but I think we need to bring it to a, to a close. It's been a very illuminating episode. Thank you to um, our dear listeners for tuning in. Please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and remember to share. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. <music>